Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. If you're grabbing a cup of coffee, if you can make your way back in, you don't want to miss a word of what I'm going to say, I promise. I had an experience just last weekend. I was at an outdoor festival, and I was enjoying myself. Um, uh, there were performances. There were people out on the street um, just laughing, having a good time eating, lots of food trucks. And I was just enjoying the weather, enjoying being out there. And there are people everywhere. There are vendors. And there was also a group that was handing out pieces of paper. I was like, oh, all right, well, what's this? So I was given one of these. I don't don't know that you can see it. See how smiley it is? And what it says is, smile, God loves you. And then there's this big yellow smiley face that became popular in the 80s. You know what I'm talking about here? And I was like, oh, great. It's a beautiful day. It's super sunny. This is, this is like, yes, God does love me. And what a great day to be out. So I thought, well, this is interesting. Let me see what's on the back. So I turned it over. And literally in the middle of the page, in the biggest letters and boldest font on the whole page, you, I don't expect you to read it because it's small for you. But for me, two words stand out to me. And those words are, Holy hatred. I was like, whoa, okay. All right, well, let me read this. And the, the full sense is God also has a holy hatred for sinners. And I thought, oh, so which side of this card <laughs> am I supposed to take with me and remember? And which side of this card is true? You know, just a month ago, I was in the park. It was another beautiful day. I think that's the theme of this introduction to this talk. It was beautiful. We were at Clark Park. Um, uh, my wife, Beck, and I were out there with our son and a couple friends that we have, uh, a couple friends that aren't church-going folks. They're just our good friends, and they're really great people, and we love to spend time with us. They're a couple of our best friends, and we're hanging out at the park. It's sunny. It's beautiful, and then there's this music playing, and lo and behold, it's like gospel music. It's like, oh, could this day not get any better? Because already we're having a good time, Already it's beautiful and sunny and breezy. And now we have this incredibly upbeat, uplifting music just filling the park all around us. I was like, this is great, you know. And I'm trying to keep my boy from cracking his head open as he's playing on toys and stuff like that. And it's, it's a lot of fun. And then all of a sudden the music turns off and a bullhorn turns on. And right there with all of this mixed, fun group of people, we start hearing about how awful we all are. We go from gospel music to, and this is a quote, you are all dirty rags. And without thinking, I didn't do this on purpose, I just went, I did a literal, I don't do this, I think of two times in my life for this, I did a literal face palm, I just went like this, and my friends said, Brad, what's wrong? Is it the bullhorn? <laughs> and without thinking, this is what I said. I said, they are making my job so hard. So hard. And I feel like part of my job is just to give the message to people that, that there's a God who loves them, the smiley part of the card. And that they would actually want to follow if they encountered him. And that's the invitation I think I give every week. That's the way I try and live my life, as many of you do here too. That there's actually a God who does love you, 
and that you would actually like to spend time with. Who's not calling you a dirty rag or berating you or even angry at you. And this makes my job so difficult because what I found and actually what research shows is that this is the most common view that people actually literally have of God. So USA Today published a report of a study that was done at Baylor a few years ago. And they studied different regions of the country and how people in those regions view God. And when they studied the East Coast, the most uh, common perception that people had of God and who God is, 25% of people, was this. They label it the authoritarian God. And the authoritarian God is highly involved in daily affairs of the world. And believers in this type of God think that God actually helps them in their decision-making and influences global events, and that the authoritarian God is angry and punishes the unfaithful or sinful. Right behind that, 21% of people in the East Coast, this is us, not out there somewhere. This is how 21% of the people in Philadelphia view God, is the quote-unquote critical God. And the critical God is a little more detached in that he watches the world from afar, but with great displeasure. But he doesn't interfere. And believers think that the unfaithful will feel God's anger in another life. So he's angry, but he doesn't get involved. And then there's another 25% of people who view God, another 25% who view God as, quote-unquote, the distant God. Now, the distant God is the God who set the world in motion, but he's not active in the world at all anymore. In fact, he's not angry. He just doesn't really care. <laughs> and he doesn't help people or hold out opinions about the world or human beings at all. So my point is, almost half of the people you know, half, half, think that God is angry with them. Half of the people that you know. And another 25% think he doesn't care. Seven out of ten people that you know in the city of Philadelphia think God is either mad at them or doesn't give a whip. Seven out of ten. So when I hear bullhorns, when I get cards like this, many of you have had the same experience. I can't help but face palm because I think this is not helping. People already believe this. And they don't want to know a God like that. They're trying to get away from that. That's not good news. That's not good news at all. And right now, the reason I'm talking about this is we're in the middle of a season in our church where we're talking about rediscovering good news. We're very aware of all the bad news around us, right? That is put in our face all the time. But what we want to do is rediscover what God is up to in the world, the good news that's happening in our lives and all around us. And I have good news to tell you this morning. God is not mad at you. And what people have been telling you, that God is mad at you and angry at you because you are a dirty rag, isn't true. 
Let's take a look. This is a story from the life of Jesus. It's told by uh, Luke, who was kind of like an ancient reporter. He went around and gathered stories about Jesus and collected them. Um, And he writes this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too, this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Now, this is a story of someone, Zacchaeus, who has an amazing experience with Jesus. It changes his life. And one of the things that makes this story stand out so much is that Zacchaeus, it seems to have been the least likely person to even engage with Jesus. If God was mad at anyone, if there's anyone in this story that might be compared to a dirty rag, if there was someone to avoid or denigrate or yell at, you would think it would be him. And here's why. You notice it says that he was a tax collector. Many of you maybe know a little bit of this background, but tax collectors in first century Palestine were despised. Now, I don't know anybody in this room probably who's really excited about tax collectors in general, but in that day, it had several layers of meaning. First of all, tax collectors collected taxes. All right, there's that. But they didn't collect taxes for local governments. They collected taxes for an occupying regime, the Romans. So they were collecting taxes for a foreign government, and as a result, they were viewed as traitors to their people. On top of that, many of them, as Zacchaeus you'll notice, got rich by over-collecting because they could. They were the ultimate scourge of the day for the Israeli people. They were despised and avoided and hated, and Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. So if there's a person who might be compared to a dirty rag in the story, it's Zacchaeus. Or if there's a person who might actually think of himself that way, it's probably Zacchaeus. Or if there's someone who might be a sinner that God would actually hate, Maybe it's Zacchaeus. But his experience was very different from distance or wrath. So if he was from Philadelphia and he had a 70% chance of either viewing God as angry or distant, his experience and his expectations and his mind were blown. The theological explanation for what he experienced is a simple term. It's grace. Grace is receiving acceptance, favor, embrace, even when it's not deserved. It's a powerful thing. 
It's actually transformational. And you'll notice in this passage that Zacchaeus undergoes an amazing personal transformation. And Jesus says at the end of the passage, today salvation has come to this house. And here's the thing. If you want to know if 70% of people in Philadelphia are right about who God is and how he views them and views you, wouldn't it be so helpful to have a picture of who God is how he actually feels about people and how he interacts with them when given a chance. Well, we have that here. Other ancient biblical writers wrote about Jesus this. They said the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So if you want to know if 70% of people in the East Coast are right, take a good look at Jesus in this passage. Pay attention to how he interacts with Zacchaeus, the one person in this story that most people in that time would have loved to just write off. And I think as we do, we can learn about how a God of grace interacts with people when given the chance. How can we experience a God of grace? Let me suggest a few things. The first, and I'm going to give little parts to this first one, but the first thing I would like to suggest is that we live life out on a limb. You notice that's what Zacchaeus does. He ends up out literally on a limb looking for Jesus. Well, how do you end up out on a limb like that? Well, I think there's a few things that generally have to happen. First, you have to hope for something good, right? It sounds simple. It's not so easy to do. But in verse 2, it says, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy, and he wanted to see who Jesus was. Because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming his way. Now, this might just sound like a super practical action, and it is. Climbing a tree so that you can see makes sense if you're a short guy and you can't see over the crowds. But I think it's more than that. I think it's important to realize what an incredibly undignified move this is for Zacchaeus. Can you imagine uh, the mayor of Philadelphia in his suit, in his tie, in his loafers or whatever he's wearing, climbing up a tree to try and see what's happening or what's going on? The people who climb trees tend to be children, right? Climbing a tree is really something that really mostly only children do and that's the point at one point jesus says this he says let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these another place jesus just comes out and says truly i tell you unless you change and become like little children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven last week he said This whole season of our church, this whole season where we're trying to discover what good news is and is around us, is about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Because Jesus came and said, this is the good news that he was preaching. Jesus here is saying, if you want to enter that, if you want to experience that, if you want that to be the realm that you live in and experience and breathe in and breathe out, you have to become like a little child. Now, I think 
there's all kinds of implications for that. That's another sermon about what it means to become like a child. But I think one thing that it certainly means is fighting for and holding on to a sense of wonder, an expectation of good things, hope for something better. There must be something good here. And I think Zacchaeus runs ahead and climbs a tree like a child because there is in him an expectation of something good to come from it. And that limits his inhibitions. It gets him over the hump of being dignified. And he climbs up in the tree. Let's be honest. And part of the reason we're doing this series, there are lots of reasons to be cynical. Lots of reasons. You don't have to work very hard to find a reason to be cynical. And if God is so far away, if he's disinterested or if he's angry, there isn't much reason to put yourself out there on a limb. To maybe look a little stupid sometimes. To hope for a good response, to risk rejection. But the idea of a God of grace, who not just gives, but who gives good things, encourages somewhere in his soul, I think, Zacchaeus to climb up in that tree and look like a bit of a fool. Hoping, expecting something good can come out of reaching out, trying to understand, or seeing Jesus a little more clearly. So hoping for something good, and what comes with that is to admit that you need it, whatever that good thing is, that you need it. And we know from this passage that he is very wealthy, and to the people around him, he must have looked like he was doing pretty well. But for whatever reason, the good life for him wasn't enough. When he hears that Jesus is going to be coming through, he runs ahead of everyone climbs up in a tree so that he can see for himself what it's all about. You know, if we have everything we need, I mean, really, what is the point of taking a second look at Jesus, trying to learn more? And honestly, I think we spend so much time building our defenses up. You know, once we get hurt, experience some sort of rejection, we build those walls even higher and higher and stronger and stronger. And we project that we have all that we need. Yeah? But freedom and salvation and peace come in taking the walls down because it takes so much energy to keep them up. The walls control you, they don't protect you. And that's where openness to God and others can really begin when the walls come down, when we admit that we don't have all that we need, when we look for something good outside of ourselves. If we want to hopefully continually connect to or experience a God of grace, we have to have some sense of very present need in our lives. And the idea of grace entails one person giving to another. If we have it all, we don't need grace. And if you don't need grace, it's very difficult, in my experience, to actually relate to God. It's hard to have a peer relationship. But if we're in some sort of connection with the good that's available to us and our need of that good, there's a place to start. There's an openness. 
But that in itself certainly isn't easy. And sometimes I think it's fair to say that a lot of things can get in the way of, experience of, God, of experiencing a God of grace. Things that tempt us to put the walls up. But here's what I'd like to suggest and hope that every person in this room could do. And that would be to persevere through whatever muck or mire, whatever disappointments, whatever bullhorns shout at you. To persevere through it. There's, this is worth it. You know, we mentioned earlier that Zacchaeus' profession made him very unpopular, to say the least. So I don't think it's a surprise that in this story, Zacchaeus, a short person who was having a hard time seeing Jesus, would have such a hard time. It's not hard to imagine that the people in Jericho around him didn't exactly make it easy for him either. I don't think they were going to help. So he did what he had to do to sort of get above the crowd. You know, if you really want to encounter God, and I'm assuming if you're here that there's at least some part of you, if not a huge part of you, that does want to meet God and interact with God and experience the reality of God. There are going to be some really legitimate reasons to quit. You know, you may experience some tragedy in your life, some significant tragedy. An illness to someone close to you, the end of a relationship. Or maybe religious people or experiences may give you a reason to disavow faith completely or write it off. I think this is what happens to Zacchaeus in this story. He has plenty of reasons just to stop. Think about it. Think about this. Why do you think Jesus even noticed him? Now, okay, this is Jesus. You read the stories of Jesus. Sometimes he has these prophetic experiences where he knows who people are because it's shown to him by the Spirit of God, right? So maybe that happens here. But I wonder if it wasn't that the people around Zacchaeus were talking about him. There's that low life. There's that no good tax collector Zacchaeus up in a tree like a fool. Can you believe it? What a jerk. God will show him. I think I cleaned it up a little bit. I think they might have been saying other things. Maybe this is an experience that's familiar to you. Maybe you felt judged by religious people. Maybe your experience in a church or a church group has left you hurt in some way. Maybe you felt treated like a dirty rag. I'm so sorry to hear that. That's not right. And that's not the picture we see of Jesus in this passage. And I wasn't there, but I am a pastor. And just as a representative of pastors and churches in general, I'm sorry and I apologize. I apologize. What you've experienced is not the heart of God. And sometimes, and I'm sorry for this, it makes it more difficult. And you may have to get above the crowd. You know, Zacchaeus doesn't let the crowd keep him from seeing Jesus, and he ends up not only experiencing him, but even experiencing an amazing community surrounding him. There are lots of brokenness in this world, but believing that God has something good that you need, 
hopefully is enough to help you persevere through some of the experiences that you've had. Because on the other side is transformation. And I think transformation can make all different, can come in all different shapes and sizes and look different in people's lives. But some of that transformation can even be healing from some of the negative experiences that you've had that are the very challenges that keep you tentative about really engaging with Jesus, let alone engaging with the community of faith. But let me give you some more encouragement. In verse 5 it says, when Jesus reached the spot, this is encouragement to actually do what Zacchaeus does. He looked up to him. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And here's a second major theme here, and that is an encouragement to accept his invitation and embrace. So notice what Jesus offers Zacchaeus. The words used to describe Jesus as staying with Zacchaeus indicate that he probably came for more than just a meal. The connotation here is that he actually stayed with him, like spent the night, boarded with Zacchaeus, at least for a night. And they certainly, we see in this passage, shared a meal together. Now, sharing meals together in our culture is probably just about one of the most relational things that we can do. But in the culture of first century Palestine, you take what it means to us and just multiply it by like 10. Uh, Sharing a meal was the most intimate time of the day. There was no television. There were no telephones. There certainly were no smartphones. There were no distractions. It was you and people. And to share that with someone meant something. To meet and eat with someone was to identify with them. So Jesus is really specific in his approach with Zacchaeus and his interactions with him. He is specifically choosing to build a new community with Zacchaeus. He chooses him, not anyone else in the crowd that we know of. So he's not building a community for people who think they have it all together or who are righteous. He's building a community for people who know that there's more. And that what they've experienced so far isn't all there is. This is a community for people who know that they're lost, that they need something. Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. And if we lose touch with this, we we also start to lose touch with a God of grace. When we have it all figured out, when we don't need God anymore because we have our systems, our rules, our doctrine... We know it, so we don't have to know him. This is how we can accidentally start to become judgmental people. And when that snowballs, who knows where we could end up? We know what's right, so why are all these other people not doing what is right? Those filthy rags. We're righteous, they aren't. And the problem here is that we can't judge others, this is important, without also judging ourselves. And to be honest, we're harder on ourselves than anyone else. So we feel awful. 
And that reflects back on how our perception of who God is manifests itself in our lives. So seven out of ten of us in Philadelphia think God is either angry or doesn't care. When we lose touch with grace, this is where we can land. Now the early church further, church further, church father, Paul, when he was writing to the first century church that he started, or one of them, he wrote this, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. This is the type of community that God's building so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you're in Christ Jesus, who's become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And this type of understanding, this remembrance, this connection, this is where the good stuff happens. This is where we receive grace and where we change. This is a community where those who know their need can gather, but it's not a community that stays stuck in old broken patterns. It's a community of continual transformation. And you see this just in one day with Zacchaeus. And here's how you, we can, the opportunity we have is to let, we can let life with Jesus put everything in perspective. That's the difference, one of the differences it can make. It says in verse 8, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times. How does a transformation, like this is a chief tax collector, how does that happen? Well, a couple things happen here, and I think this can happen for us. And many of you have already tasted this, so I'm not telling you something like you've got none of this but we could all experience this more too, is that we find it. We find it. Zacchaeus found it, that thing he was looking for. The reason he was up in the tree, he was missing something. And by it, I mean a center. Something to root everything to. Zacchaeus found something better to put at the center of his life than his money. You know, he'd been looking for something more, and he finds it here in Jesus. The response to an embrace of grace is to embrace in return. Second, discover who you are. I love this. Uh, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Jesus speaks value and worth into who Zacchaeus is. He's a son of Abraham. And where people have tried to brand Zacchaeus as a sinner and where he's tried to see himself as wealthy and successful... He receives an identity deeper than either of those, one based on the thing, based on the thing, one deeper than one based on the things that he has or does. He embraces an identity based on who God says he is. Jesus says, you're a son of Abraham. 
And the result is a completely transformed life. I think Zacchaeus probably had some serious bumps in the road heading from this. I'm sure it wasn't all rainbows and flowers after this. But this was a big turning point in his life. And what really inspires change is finding something better than what is destructive in our lives, while at the same time connecting to a deeper sense of personal value. Think about it this way. What is the thing that you just can't beat in your life? Is there a destructive behavior or something? Patterns of anger, inability to forgive, abuse of alcohol, whatever it might be. How well does don't look, don't touch, don't do work? not too well and it's torture an important key I think to overcoming destructive patterns in our lives not, there's a bigger discussion here I get that but one key is not to focus on our, our lives on stopping those patterns but instead to focus on finding something of more value so instead of just trying to fight something to keep it down or under control You turn your heart, your minds, your actions towards something better. Zacchaeus doesn't try to stop being greedy. Instead, he embraces Christ. And it's clear that he sees more security, more peace, more value in his growing relationship with Jesus than he does in his former life of amassing wealth. That wasn't working anyway. And he still felt unsettled, even with all of his money. This is what Zacchaeus does. He finds something more valuable in experiencing a God of grace than in hoarding his money. And so money moves out of the center of his life, and Jesus moves in. And I think this is at least part of how change is supposed to happen in a community that focuses on Jesus. It's not about judging other people or shaming them into certain behaviors. It's not about doing our best to follow the rules perfectly. It's about understanding that God is good. And he's a God of grace. So if we come to him as people in need, he won't be distant. He won't be angry, but instead he'll embrace us. So as a community, our job, one of them, one of our jobs for each other is to help push each other out on that limb to encourage each other to expect and look for something good to challenge each other when we see a broken or destructive pattern in our lives to ask each other why we're settling for that and we push each other out on a limb to live as if we have nothing to prove because we're sons and daughters of Abraham and that's settled That's a big part of what brings transformation. Let's pray. God, we know you're not happy about everything in the world. We see stories of Jesus turning over tables when he was angry, and that reflects who you are too particularly angry at injustice and abuse and oppression. 
but that never changes how you feel about us. Thank you. Our prayer for the rest of this service and really beyond is that we could connect to that. That we could connect to the God that we see in Jesus and Zacchaeus. And we welcome you to continue to be here in our time of worship, reaching out to you, interacting with each other, that we could experience that. Amen. If you're on the worship team, please come on, make your way up here. Um,